This episode of Tend Her Wild is being sponsored by Revival in downtown Iowa City. Revival is a woman-owned apparel and clothing store for women with a curated selection of new and used vintage clothing. A place where a small group of badass ladies can help you own your own personal expression, no matter the budget. Revival is independently owned and operated by Sheila Davison, who's a fierce advocate for women's health rights. Inspired by the question we ask each of our guests, we partnered with local jewelry designer, Made Community, to create a special earring design called the Door Collection. Look for the new collection at RevivalIowaCity.com or in person. Which door did you go through to become a wild woman? You can wear the earrings that match that. Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Hello, Tender Wild listeners. Thanks for joining us today. We are so pleased to have a special guest with us today. V. Fixper Orise is an AICP certified community environmental planner. V. founded Astig Planning to fuse community organizing techniques with planning frameworks. Leading a company aligned with a vision toward equity and sustainability, their work has focused on regional planning and community engagement. V has worked with municipalities and counties on comprehensive and master plans and has contributed to the completion of several regional watershed plans, including the English River and Middle Cedar River watershed plans. V is passionate about engaging with people on a range of issues impacting their community, such as stormwater and floods, economic development, racial equity and social justice, and expanding community services. And she's also a good friend of both of ours, and we're so happy to have you today. I'm so thrilled to be here with the two of you. Thanks for we ha- inviting me. We happened to run into V this weekend at a, a mutual friend's wedding, and both Kate and I were like, oh, why haven't we had V on the podcast yet? <laughs> and it was like a moment of all yeah. of the recognition of, yes, mm-hmm. we want to really dive in and talk about some some big issues collectively, individually. And so we're so happy. Yeah. I'm so thrilled to be here. Really, truly. It's lovely to be in your presence. Thank you. And to be with your listeners. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, V from the podcast, we always like to start with the first 10 years and get an idea of how people started their, their journeys. And, and we know that those things often show up later in life and those um, lessons, early lessons and experiences. So can you share with our listeners your first 10 years? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess I should kind of back up a little bit and just say that, um, you know, my family are immigrants. So my mom and my, my aunt and my grandmother moved here from the Philippines when my mom was about nine years old. Um, it, that just like greatly informs who I am. Um, and my mom actually had me, so she was uh, pregnant with me at 17 and had me at 18. And, um, you know, I kind of had a, a biological father who was also really young and was in the military. And then, so they only lasted like three years, I think. 
and it was pretty tumultuous. I ended up like kind of living and spending a lot of time with my grandmother. And so she is a really big, like matriarchal force in my life. Um, and then my mom remarried and my dad, who I call my dad, um, I had my sister when they were, when I was three and we kind of moved around a lot. So he's a Navy SEAL. And so we mostly lived like on military bases from coast to coast and um, also in and out of the country. Um, so we grew, I grew up on military bases. Mm. Um, and I think as a kid, it's like all the houses look the same. I remember one time, you know, I, I went into somebody else's house accidentally, <laughs> you know, and you're also just moving a lot. I think I know we're talking about the first 10 years, but I think before the age of 16, I had moved over 30 times. Oh, my gosh. And um, sometimes, you know, that's on base. Sometimes it's off base. But um, there's just like a conformity, I think, that I can see myself like pushing back against now later in life. I also knew at a young age that I was different, I think. Um, So I currently identify as like trans, queer, non-binary, and um, I'm biracial. And so when I look back... At my younger self, I remember times like laying awake at night, probably as like six or seven, maybe eight years old and trying to will my body into a boy's body, Mm. you know, and just and I don't know, like sometimes I laugh because I'm like, was it because I wanted all the like He-Man toys and, you know, Mm. the freedom that boys had? I always recognized that like, you know, the boys were the ones that were allowed to stay out late you know, like after everybody else like was called in. Yeah. 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 And it, it, it was just kind of like, um, so I don't know if that was, that was certainly, I'm sure part of it, but you know, now having transitioned into a more masculine body, I feel much more myself, um, which, you know, I try and tell my younger self that too, you know, like, actually, yeah, is. like it's like you made it. You did it. <laughs> yeah. And you knew innately at a very yeah. young age and you, yeah, it, it was, so I don't know. And and now I look at our generations that we have, you know, I have five and six year old young people that I know that change their name weekly and have a sense of their gender and their, you know, in, in a way that I wish I, I just didn't have language for, mm-hmm. um, yeah. probably would have, you know, um, lessened a lot of the harm later in life that I experienced, or at least like internally, you know, the transphobia or homophobia aspects of it, but also just being, being able to accept myself for who I am. So I look at the younger generation and I'm just like overjoyed at their freedom and also the freedom that they offer all of us. You know, it's this like breaking free from the confines of a binary gendered system, um, just free to be who you are in the moment. Yeah. I have young people that like change their name weekly, you know, I mean, I just, I love that. And it's like starship and <laughs> sunshine. <laughs> carrot. I know a kid named Carrot. Um, you know, and just yeah. that exploration and, and playfulness. I didn't have that. And I certainly didn't have that on a military base. I was just thinking about yeah, that. That yeah. very patriarchal, right. uh, systemic. Like I was thinking at first, oh, V got to move around and see all yeah. kinds of parts of the country. But it was still in a really confined, mm-hmm. systematic way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how that so clearly had such an impact on you. Well, and for young people to move a lot, I feel like you're always, you always have to kind of reinvent yourself for every move. Yes. Yes. So while you're questioning your own, who am I? You're also trying to 
fit in with every move and figure out where your place is. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's a lot. It is. And it's like, it's kind of, you know, there's always pros and cons. Like I remember always being like, yes, the new kid. So I got to reinvent, I got to reinvent myself. I got to be like, Hey, I, I remember there was a time. It's actually hilarious for me to look back on where I was just like, I'm going to be really funny. Like that's who you I'm going to be. Decided. I'm going to be the class clown. And I, and I told horrible jokes and like was just loud and like obnoxious, you know what I mean? Like, and, and that's, it was, it, so it allowed me to like explore different things. Um, but also you're always the outsider. That's the other part of it is, you know, some, I remember so many times people would be like, oh yeah, I remember, you know, like we've known each other since kindergarten. And remember that one time when we had that sleepover, I mean, all the inside jokes, all the inside like times that people had and it's, you know, they were kids. So it's not like they're trying to be mean about it necessarily, but they're just sort of like recounting, you know, their, the fun times they had together. And, but you know, that wasn't my experience. So that was, that was always kind of hard. And I have a younger sister who's three years younger than me. And so I always had like a friend. Um, and, and so we're, we're still really close, um, because of that. And so that, that always felt like at least I had family, at least I had some grounding there, but. It's a lot. You know what I would love to to talk about and have kind of our listeners be a part of is this concept of identity because I think it's something uh, for all of us that we struggle with. We're told who we are. We're told who we should be. Mm. And part of this sort of wild journey Kate and I have been on in terms of reading the book Women Who Run, Run With The Wolves is mm. that we have to start to shed these aspects of who we're not. And mm-hmm. I'm just really struck in this moment by your story mm-hmm. that you moved 30 times, that each time you had an opportunity or you had to reinvent yourself, right? Right. And how that shaped you really settling into your truth and then being so courageous to speak, live, Mm-hmm. transition, you know, right. like it's so powerful. So I guess what my question is, like what's <laughs> your insight or information or your guidance for mm. anyone who's in their own identity crisis of who mm. am I and who do I want to be? Yeah, well, I mean, so many things. I, I think some of what I would say is, you know, so I went through yoga teacher training and so, you know, yoga with yeah. Nancy and um and having, I think, training or practice of kind of what I call distilling the noise, you know, being able to sort of get into a place where it's just like you and the source, like there's a little bit limit, limitless there. And there's a little bit of reimagination that can happen and curiosity. So I, I, I like to just sort of like kind of cut out the noise when I'm trying to understand an interaction, for instance. You know, there's so many times where like we interact with something and you just kind of walk away and you're like, I don't know, like, Mm. was that, was that somebody just being, you know, having a bad day or is that somebody that's, you know, um, trying to kind of tell me or to conform in some way or something like that, you know, that, that happens. And in those moments, I like to just sort of like sit back and breathe and sort of feel like, okay, you know, who, who am I and how, how do I want to respond? You know, um, I, I think that the ways that we sort of remake ourselves. I guess what I'm trying to say is that like our world sort of reflects back to us, right? It gives us those touch points of who we are and who we want to be. And, 
you know, the media is so full of like what we're supposed to be or what we're supposed to do that um, I think that when you're when you're kind of reflecting it back to yourself, you have to filter that and say like, right, but what's my lens? Yeah. You know, like what's real? What's true for me? And it takes so much courage to do that, which is why I look at like the younger generations and I'm just blown away. Like, and I know that they stand on our shoulders and they don't know that. (laughs) That's okay. Um, And I stand on shoulders too, but I think that there is, you know, there's an, um, just that importance of having that filter. And I think that filter comes from, you know, of course, like self-study and like listening to who you are and who you want to be. But it also is like, who you surround yourself with, Um, you know, are those people supportive of who you are? Um, And I think that can be really hard. Those can be the hard, like, do I make or break it? Mm -hmm. Um, And I've had so many moments in my life where I've had to say whether that was like family or friends or friend family, (laughs) chosen Mm -hmm. family, and just say like, you know what, Um, this is toxic for me. And so when I know we were talking about the first 10 years, I came out in high school as, um, as bisexual for about five minutes. And then I came back and was like, actually, no, I'm gay. Um, <laughs> it's just Drew Barrymore came out as bisexual. And I thought that was like a good talking point. Um, <laughs> like, Hey mom, did you know Drew, I didn't Bar- know that. Drew Barrymore yeah. is bisexual? My mom was like, yeah, everybody knows that. And I was like, Oh, I think that's me. And then put away my clothes came back and was like, actually, I'm, I'm actually just gay. Is that um, how you came out? That is, that literally is. We were folding laundry and, I, you know, I, I was, you know, talking with her about that, had my Drew Barrymore talking point. I knew that's how I wanted to make that happen. Wow. <laughs> and then I, you know, it was like, oh, that didn't go so bad. So I put away my clothes, thought about it for about two seconds and was like, well, maybe I should just go a little bit further yeah. and tell her the truth. It, that didn't go out. The, the, so the follow-up wasn't awesome. I mean, unfortunately, my mom was like, uh, good for you. And I think that's totally fine as long as you don't tell anybody. So like, you know, so this is like in the nineties also, I should say, Yep, I won't let you do the math. Yeah. So it was a little (laughs) bit different time. Um, but you know, so coming out in high school was very painful. Um, as I mentioned, you know, we were actually living on base at the time. My dad was a Navy SEAL. The only time I ever heard about gay people, honestly, was when he was like yelling at the TV, you know, uh. expletives um, or, or, you know, just derogatory things. So I didn't actually even know what gay was. I know it sounds really silly, but I was so sheltered that the only thing I knew gay or lesbian or whatever was just it was a bad word. You know, oh, yeah. and how was homo- that? It had to be homophobic on those base- was, oh, on those gosh, bases, yes. and it sounds like even in your family to some extent. Extraordinarily, yeah. extraordinarily. And so, you know, when I realized that's who I was, I mean, yeah, I don't. I really understand the bleakness that some queer trans folks really do feel, or or anybody really can feel, because we're all just humans, humaning and. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I think anybody can really identify with this feeling of like, okay, I'm 16 years old. Um, who I am is bad. And so Go nobody wrong, will ever yeah. love me. Mm. I can't ever get married. I can't have children. You know, all of these things. Why, why, why go on? So I did go through some pretty serious, like, low, I'll just say low points, even as a young person um, that were hard to recover from. But fortunately, I didn't decide to take my life, but I really did consider it because what is the point of living if who you are is unlovable, like which was this just the messaging at the time. Um, 
But I was very fortunate. I think we talk, you know, like those angels that are just around, like walking in human form. I was very incredibly fortunate to have a few elder people in my life that saw that I was struggling and just said, you know, you need to come and and spend time with me, you know. Um, So it was a very tumultuous period of my life. But I say that to say, you know, there were friends and family at that point that I lost, you know, because I realized if I was going to live a life that it was going to be unapologetically who I am. And that burning desire, I remember actually um, one of those angels that I was just speaking about, she was my bas- assistant basketball coach. She was also in the military um, and she, it was don't ask, don't tell, you know? So she was always like, Hey, let's go rollerblading. Let's go. Like just trying to get me out of the house. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out like I was going to all these like women's basketball games with like yeah. entirely lesbian, <laughs> like, you know, group of women. Like, and I had no idea. I was like, gosh, you guys are just really, I just like you so much. It's so fun. <laughs> this is the best time of my life. Um, and then later on, you know, when she eventually came out to me, she was like, it was so like, it was so painful she was just like, you know, I don't do drugs. You know, I don't lie. You know, and she was just somebody who was like amazing to me. Like she was just such a good, good person. And I was thinking, what are you about to tell me? Mm. You know, and she was just like, but I'm, I'm gay. And I was just like, all the things that you just said, <laughs> like, how do those equate to what you just told me? Like, so that's oh, who we she are. Felt oh, like oh, oh, I get, I'm yeah. following you now. Like she was right? like, like, I'm all these, I'm not these bad things. I'm this bad thing. Oh, uh, wow. yes. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like so devastated, um, realizing, of course, that like I'm looking at my elder and she's saying she's struggling. Yeah. Like and don't come out. Don't come out because it actually will mean that we can't be friends because I'm in the military and I could lose my job. And so, wow. we so this up, person who yeah. you respected and had cared like, for you and was a good friend yes. is basically saying you similar to what you heard from your mom, just yeah. don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Exactly. And at, you know, 17 at that point, I was like, that's, I, I can't, I'm sorry, but I can't. It's either that or death for me. Like that's how it felt because mm-hmm. I was 17, <laughs> but also just like this, like really strong desire to just be who I am and how could that be wrong? Yeah. Um, and so I did, I like came out super hard <laughs> in high school. I mean, it was just like, you know, so that was the impetus. Was that the courage you found that to was, like come out? No, I think that was just like a moment where I knew, like I could see. It's again that reflection. Yeah. It's like I could see that she was in pain, and I could see that she was living the life that she thought that that was her only option. But I was unwilling to to. I was unwilling to hide that because I didn't think that was true. Because mm-hmm. I could see that she was a good person. I could see that she, you know, had all this happiness and all these friends. And so why couldn't I have that too? And I was just hoping that I was younger and that that wasn't true for my generation, like that we could be who we are and, you know, have gay straight alliances and high schools and things like that. Um, But I just say that as like, I lost a lot of family members. I lost her as a friend. And all through that, you know, I didn't have yoga training. I didn't have all of these like things. I just knew there was like a burning desire to live authentically. Like, and it, it really cost me so much. Yeah. It cost me so much. And, um, I mean, relationships with my parents, uh, relationships with like friends and, and it just, it was deep. What did it mean for the, your relationship with yourself? Yeah. You know, 
at that point I was really untethered. Um, I mean, I was pretty much like on the brink of homelessness. I had, you know, kind of, um, you know, left home and was trying to figure out myself in college in San Francisco. And I think for me, it just meant that, you know, I may be alone, but I'm going to be alone and be myself and maybe there are other people out there. And, And I think that's probably why I went to San Francisco State. I mean, I played basketball there for a while, but um, at, at San Francisco State University, but I, it was mostly because I wanted to be around that community. Yeah, and you were drawn there. For, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, that community, and I think like a lot of cities, even in Iowa City, you know, you have queer people, trans people coming here and like you're at the bars, you're drinking, you're doing drugs, you're doing all these things, you're creating these like this family that's like a chosen family. And unfortunately, I think that there is a lot of harm in terms of drug addiction and alcoholism because you're coping. You're just mm-hmm. coping with right. harm. And you're pain. coping with a messed up culture that yeah, says that, that who you in. are is wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so of course you're going to look for anything your, that can help family. you. Yeah. yeah. And the loss of all these things that you've also been told are right. Right. Yeah. Staying connected to your family. Yeah. Like you're going to give that up. So and, my truth me speaking costs. my truth, living my truth, yeah. being in my authentic nature cost me everything that culture has said yeah. is worthwhile. Yeah. And the pain of that. Oh, and I then mean, you put was... all the pain together when yeah. the community comes together. Exactly. And so I still have um, friends from that time in my life, you know, early 20s, but they're very few because, I mean, a lot of people just you obviously lose touch, but I think with drug addiction and, and AIDS, quite frankly, and, you know, just all the things that our community, our, you know, LGBTQ plus community really struggles with, um, a lot of that harm just falls to the wayside. And I, and also too, there were, there were friends that I had to stand up to and just say like, I love you, but I think this is really abusive. Like, I think that we can't, we just can't see each other, um, even as friends. I'm not talking even, even intimate partners, but although I did have, you know, series of intimate partners too. And we don't talk about that really in a lot of the mainstream society too, that like our LGBTQ community is so harmed that we harm each other yeah. and our, you know, rates of domestic partner violence are, are quite extraordinary. Mm. Um, and then we don't have anywhere else to turn, you know, so I'm, I'm grateful and I've, I've worked a bit in rape crisis as well. I'm, I'm grateful for the communities that are around that can kind of be resources. You know, we're lucky here in Johnson County to have a lot of those. But, um, you know, so I think that I, I say all that to say, you know, you can look at my timeline mm-hmm. <laughs> from, you know, this is where I was. This is where I live. But really, truly, you know, going in and out of those like three dimensional, four dimensional spaces of like, you know, the pain and the harm and the healing the squishiness of humaning. Um, I think now at 44, I sort of am at this place where um, I care so deeply about my community. I, I care so deeply about people that are underestimated in in our community and, and left, quote unquote, left behind or forgotten about or just not seen um, in, in mainstream society that um, I kind of am just like, I, I would just want to flip the tables. Yeah. And, you know? and can we just say, yeah, you're, you are, <laughs> you are, you're you running are. for office. Yeah. 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 And that was kind of at a point where I've gotten, I've been doing community work for, in, in Johnson County for over a decade and, you know, working with people that are, you know, um, immigrants or uh, BIPOC folks on like economic development and watershed resources and, you know, really climate change impacts that we know are going to just 
unduly impact those that are already, you know, housing insecure and food insecure. Like those are the folks that we need to be planning for. And I've been doing that for over a decade. And I finally feel like I've gotten to a place where I want to be on the policy side. I want to be in the room and at the table with all of what I just said, Mm. with all of the experience of what I know, what it feels like to be on the other side. the pain and the healing and the work you've done. Yeah. And how do we create communities of care that genuinely care? And, and I know a lot of, you know, politicians, like we, we say, oh, but what's the policy behind that? Or, you know, oh, what, what are the details? What are the nuts and bolts? And, um, you know, that we give political answers, quote unquote. Uh, but I, I truly feel, and that's why I'm running at a very local level. So I'm running for county supervisor, which is just Johnson County. And, and that really is helpful because I think that we can make a lot of change in our community. Like I said, I've been doing community work for about a decade here. And we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to nonprofits and, you know, economic development organizations and, you know, just all of these things that are amazing. And how do we just make them better? How do we make things more efficient? But also how do we wrap our arms around the fact that like our schools are on fire, our healthcare is, you know, depleting, like all of that. Right. We're still struggling. Challenges that exist everywhere else. And, post-pandemic are almost magnified now that absolutely we have to we have to step up in an even bigger way and you know that's actually one thing that I talk about like I've been talking about on my campaign trail and and it's really you know COVID just exploded the safety nets that we already knew were tattered and torn mm-hmm. um, but what it has done is it's brought to the forefront to mainstream society how badly it has been because we have left behind entire communities. You know, we've lost so many people. Yeah. Like I, I personally lost my grandmother who I had talked about at the beginning, um, being just like a matriarchal, like mm-hmm. source of, you know, power and, and love for me. And I lost her because of COVID. I didn't lose her because she got COVID. I lost her because she couldn't get into a hospital. Mm. Wow. But then she ended up dying alone in a hospital. Like, like how many of yeah. these people? Yeah. So we're all yeah. like just hurting. Yeah. Um, and we are still trying to do this daily work. And how do we make sure that we're healing while we're here you know, and I tend to look at and Kate knows this and maybe you do too. Like I tend to kind of embrace like moving at the speed of trust. I tend to, I, mm. I want to embrace, you know, how do we build these relationships, you know, authentic relationships where, you know, yes, as a, as a, hopefully a, I get the opportunity to be a public, you know, decision maker or a leader. Um, how am I being held accountable in ways that are really meaningful? Not just like, oh, I donated to your campaign. So now you have to have a meeting with me. Like You don't have to donate to my campaign, first of all, to have a meeting with me. Like, I want to work for the people and the, the pe- my people that I've been working with. I want to elevate those voices. And it will, it will benefit all of us, you know? Like, and that's what I want people to understand is that, like, if we improve, you know, the transportation system for people that don't have vehicles, like, that will only give everybody an opportunity to have a transportation system where they don't have to use vehicles. You know, how do we wrap our hands around affordable housing? Housing affordability is really what we're talking about. You know, I want to wrap my hands around that in a way that says, 
housing is a human right. It is unacceptable that people do not have safe, decent housing in my they can community. Afford. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my community that they right. can afford. Yeah. Because and I really mean safe and decent. I have worked in housing with people that are immigrants, low to moderate income, you know, housing should not cost more than 30%. And you shouldn't have holes in your closet that are actually just exposed pipes to sewage because you can't get your landlord to come and fix it. Yeah. And you have a three-year-old. Like I've talked, I've worked with these people. I've done housing advocacy where we try to train people to be advocates for themselves. You know, go to city council, bring the mayor to your community. You know, like these types of things are, they're not just like, smoke and mirrors like it's really trying to make those connections so that as decision makers you can see that these are like real impacts and how do we connect the dots so that we can care for our community um and i know it sounds really like high and lofty but i'm willing to work like one step at a time and that's what i want to ask is you talk about communities of care a lot and now that i know really your whole story arc it makes sense that you didn't have you didn't have a community. community. Yeah. You were moved thirty yeah. times before the yeah. age of sixteen, and you've been in Iowa City how many years now? Uh, about ten and a half. So you really have this is a deep rooted place for you. The longest, it's the longest I've ever lived you, in my okay. entire life. Beautiful. Yeah. So now you're here. You're stepping up in a way, and I just want to reflect back that you have run such an authentic campaign. So your own authenticity that you've worked on, you know, your whole life to to reach this point to now say, this is how I'm going to give back even more. I'm going to lend a voice for the people that I know don't have a voice at the table. And you've been so consistently authentic. I think it makes you very unique in how Mm. you are running and what you have to offer. And, and the, you know, the response I think from our community, I hope you feel I know it's been challenging. Yes. I've talked about that. It yes. is, it's an ugly system. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. And so coming into this from a place of authenticity and kind of tenderness that I know you have too. Um, yeah. But hearing your story, I feel like it prepared you for oh this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's why we ask yeah. people that, qu- yeah. that question, right? Because it always is this beautiful through line to where they got. So you lying in bed when you're seven thinking like I'm in the wrong body, mm-hmm. you know, being moved around, having to be the funny one, ha- right? Like mm-hmm. all prepared you for the challenge of being a leader in a system that's really broken. broken. Yeah. It is. It is really broken. And I, I feel like such deep gratitude also to the people that I see every day. I meet every day that are like, thank you for running. Or I have a trans kid or a grandkid and like, thank you for, for doing that. And I, I mean, we can't take this out of context. We live in Iowa. I was, I watched the governor sign the bill that prohibits trans girls from competing in sports. And I felt like I was in the 1980s. Yeah. It was terrifying um, and really um, so harmful. I mean, I just wish that people could step back and say like, or and understand how harmful it is to young people to be told that you are wrong. Exactly. So you cannot participate. Yeah. And your families, like you're, you're putting not just that child, but that whole family is now having to grapple with protecting and caring for their child. Yeah. How do you, I mean, truly, like, how do you put yourselves in that shoes? And I wish more people would switch to the other side 
and do that golden rule, right? Yeah, because that's really what it comes down to. Because that is what it comes down to. How do we want to treat exactly? And I, I know what it's like to be a legislated body. I mean, I have literally Mm. had my ability to legally recognize the person that I love on a ballot. Like have people vote on whether or not you can be right. recognized as two people that are in love. Right. Like what? And also what bathroom I can use. Right. Like finally, I think that we do have and unfortunately and unfortunately isn't even like the word I want to use. It's, but with the Dobbs decision, now we have half of the country that understands what I've been feeling my yeah. entire adult life. It's, it's so wow. true. Wow, yeah. We talked about that on our last episode, yeah. how this is waking us up yeah. to what has existed for so many for so long. Yeah, what does that feel like? Um, mm-hmm. And and how it's, it is also a step toward even further restrictions of yeah. right to privacy. Exactly. So if we don't unite around this, right. Right. Um, yeah. we all lose. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, uh, communities of color have been experiencing a different America than right. many of the others. Right. And that is what I feel like is happening with COVID and Trump and, you know, this new era of America and of America. I mean, democracy is not something we have. It's something we do. And granted, you can do that at the voting poll, but you can also do that in your conversations with family mm-hmm. and yeah. friends. Yeah. You know, what is insidious really is that we are looking at local races. So, you know, supervisor and people are like, first of all, let me just pause for a second. What is a supervisor? I know everybody is wondering, what does a county supervisor do? Actually, thank you for answering that because I am, I am, I was curious about that myself. Yeah. So county supervisors, there's a board of five and, and I'll just talk specifically about Johnson County that this applies to Iowa. So really are responsible for the budget, $140 million. And like, what do we do with our fringe areas? The fringe area is like the mile or so between the city and the county. So there's responsibilities there. Um, So how do we spend the $140 million? It's huge. Um, That's, you know, taking care of roads. We also have health and human services. So your social workers, we have emergency management, we have all of those things that you would want the county. So, and people don't know because you don't want to know <laughs> if mm. it's going well, you should, you, you yeah, should yeah, know. You right? Yeah. So like, uh, we're that, that's sort of kind of the, the problem <laughs> in a way, but, uh, but then, so there's taxes and then there's also, um, staffing. So we have over like 600 employees because of social work and, you know, emergency management and, you know, all of the financial department, all of the departments that we're in charge of. And so we're really in charge of a work culture. And I bring that up because I've been working for in a year on an inclusive economic development plan. And I know for a fact that people who are going to get a commercial kitchen license or apply for some sort of like licensing public health um, aspect for their business do not feel comfortable if they are people of color or look different because of the color of their skin or the way that they talk or dress, they don't feel like they can go into a county office and or quite frankly, a municipal office or even a bank or, you know, all of these yeah. professional services feel out of touch for them. And it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be like, you know, what do you want? It should be like, what can we do can for we you? Help you? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that speaks to I know a lot of farmers that feel that way as well. You know, like I want to, you know divide up my land or something and then it it feels adversarial and the county should really be a partner. So those are some of the things that the bigger things that we're in charge of, but then also policy. I mean, you look at, you know, Johnson County was able to pass the minimum wage 
you know, back in like 2008, um, it got taken away at the state level because they were like, you can't do that. Mm. (laughs) But we also had human rights ordinances that we were able to put in place and say that like you can't back in the day, like you cannot fire somebody for being um, LGBTQ. So there's certain things that we can do at a local level policy wise. And what I'm hoping to do is really look at housing. So one of the things that I really want to look at is affordable housing and also climate change. How are we going to be planning 50 to 100 years from now? Mm. Because that's what we need to be looking at. Yes. Not these four year cycles, you know, of who's going to be elected and how are you going to be in office, but a public facing who are we going to wrap around our services and how and not even just internally, because I know that the county has done kind of an internal audit on like how they do communications, which is great. We do need to know that. But also an, an outward facing public interaction of how are we going to be caring for ourselves? Because I think in a lot of ways, it's really about neighbors. I mean, and I know mm. people are like, but you're the county. How are you going to do that? But we can facilitate a lot of those conversations. We can facilitate those the mapping and the assets that we have. You know, like, how are we going to be moving here? Is there a grandmother in the you know neighborhood that's always taking care of the children who has to go pick up their parents? You know, when the roads are gone, you know, like something happens like a derecho, who is who is right there with you yeah. right away? It's, it's not your FEMA. Neighbors. Yeah, it's not. FEMA takes at least, I think, three days on average to respond. So I know that's like a little bit into the weeds, but I just wanted to say that, like, those are the things that we can do at the county level and that the experience that I have, I would that's what I would like to bring is really. How do we make it so that every single person has safe, decent, affordable housing in our county? And how are we planning for the future? Because climate change is not going away. No, um, it's, it's only getting worse. And when we have compounded disasters like COVID and the derecho, we almost had flooding. Can you imagine what our yeah. services would have been like? But that's what we need to be doing. We need to be imagining. We need to be reimagining. Yeah. Um, because so much has broken, what is coming out of this fire? What are the ashes that we are rising from? Like, how can we reimagine how we're caring for people? And it's at the county level, so it's going to take time. But I think that there is an opportunity right now. And I think that the public is really asking for it. Yeah, I think the public is more tuned into local government than it ever has yeah. been before, mm-hmm. which is even a new thing for me in terms of my thinking um, it seems like we realize it, it starts, <laughs> it starts in our communities Yeah, and, and we've all we, been so yeah. disillusioned by uh, government in the last mm-hmm. um, many years. Oh, absolutely. And I was saying earlier, you know, it's sort of insidious at the local level that people are trying to influence campaigns, but now having run at the local level, it's, it's true. You're seeing it. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. it's outside very money, yep. outside influence, people that really know nothing about right. and that's, our community. Really scary. And you have to be, I think, vigilant. You just have to be vigilant and say, no, this is not okay. And you need to call it out. Um, And I I actually also have, just speaking of that, like more of an ethos because of our cancel culture, more of an ethos of calling people in versus calling people out. Like, obviously, we need to, you know, call out bad actors that are like illegally doing things. Right. Yeah. But when we talk about communities of care, what I'm really talking about is like, look, we're humans humaning. We're going to make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. We could, you know, talk about pronouns if you want for a second mm-hmm. as like a tiny example. Please. But, you know, it's like this thing where um, communities of care mean that like it's OK to mess up. It's OK to disagree. But at the end of the day, like we're still here. Right. right. So we have like, to live, <laughs> with, live with and among each other. Exactly. And- 
You have to figure out a way to move forward together. I, I want to share with our listeners because I think I love the idea of you saying human, humans humaning and we all make mistakes. Because as we were getting ready, I said, I, I referred to you as she and you're like, they. And I'm like, oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you were so gracious about it and so forgiving about it. And I think sometimes that's the fear. It's like, oh, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to mess Mistake. up. And so you just putting it out on the table that we're humans, humaning. We're all trying. We're all we're all in this together. Yeah. Uh, it was so helpful. You even said, I, I mess it up. I mess I, it up sometimes. I, I do. I mean, how, you know, how could, I, how could we not? You know, I think that, um, you know, I, what I appreciate is actually people trying. That's the difference. Yeah. And I, I, I can't honestly think of a time when somebody's maliciously used a pronoun against me or like, you know, done something that feels, you know, not not true. Like, yeah. I think people yeah. genuinely are like, oh, yeah. You know, for me, it's always just like, is it worth correcting? <laughs> mm. You know, because there's just situations where it's like, it doesn't make any sense. Am I going to shout from the back of the room? Like, actually, <laughs> That's not my pronoun. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that what's great about that is that it's just practice. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect. It's a practice. So. But I also like that you create safety. Yeah. And so that we can mess up. And I actually appreciate the corrections. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I want to learn. I want to I, I want to um, be honoring of people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, isn't that more spacious? I mean, isn't yeah. then, then we can just talk about other things that we want to yes. change, yes. other things that we know need to be yes. um, worked on, you know? And I, th the, what I will say too, is, you know, I think we have a very, um, a very toxic white culture that tells us we have to be perfect. <laughs> we have to get it done yesterday. Um, you know, all of the things, the way that we look, the way that we act, right. Uh, but I think now is the time that we can all say how harmful that is. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, yes. Away yes, from yes, it. yes. I want to say a, yes, yes, yes. It's, it's so a daily harmful. practice. It's like yeah. you have to practice that maybe a hundred times a day where, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a board meeting or I'm in a blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, am I speaking my truth? Am I, you know, like it's like a, a thing where oftentimes, so I just wanted to give everybody a little bit of courage here. Like just say the thing. Yeah. Because oftentimes you're not alone. I've had people come up to me afterwards and be like, I'm so glad you said that yeah. because I didn't have the courage. Yeah, and, yeah, I just didn't. And I know that's sort of like, um, you know, almost maybe silly to say it, but like, I'm asking you to do that because there are those of us who are queer, BIPOC, trans, whatever, who are marginalized right yeah. from the margins um, that are triple quadruple guessing ourselves because we're the only ones in the room mm -hmm. so for us to say it takes even more, even more courage yes. because we are the ones that are dubbed as outsiders we are the ones that are like tokenized and discriminated against so if you say it and maybe you know whoever you are if you say it it takes the pressure off of yeah. us that is such a great message that is such a good message yeah. v it's true allyship. And I think that, you know, what's awesome about that is that it really frees all of us. I mean, I think if we can get to the point where we truly, truly deeply in our hearts understand that our liberation is tied together, then we will make change. Mm -hmm. That's like a if you can community. feel that, yeah. yeah, if you can step into that sun, right, like then, then it's limitless. Right. Mm -hmm. There's so, and, and everyone benefits. Yeah, there's so much more on the other side of this 
despair and cancel culture and, um, you know, especially I think that mentality of scarcity. Right? right. And we talk a lot about like, oh, stepping into the abundance. And, you know, what does that feel like? Well, it's actually really hard to do that. It's really hard to be like, yeah, I made payroll this month, but woo, next month, yeah. you know, like yeah. I, I own a small business too. So it's, it's kind of a letting go. And I think that when you're free falling, you're kind of like, woof, this is really pushing against the norms. But if you see other people around you, you know, we've got parachutes. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to be good. Can we talk a little bit? You have an amazing partner. Yes. And lovely. Yes. Natalie. Yes. Right, and yes. lovely children. Yes. And lovely. Two boys. Two boys. Yes. And, and yeah, just a little bit about being a parent. Cause mm. I feel like what I'm struck by today and I, I'm around you a lot. We get to interact so much. <laughs> like and I always love it. Professional setting. Though. Yeah. This feels, yeah. A little yeah. bit more on the personal side. And I, I'm picking up on so how your masculine and feminine feel very balanced. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The energies. Yeah. Your energy. Yeah. yeah. And just parenting from that place, I feel like it, your, your boys are so lucky. feel lucky, I know. Oh, yeah. Can you know. I be your child? <laughs> <I know. laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I, um, I, I really love being a parent. I love, um, you know, it's like, oh, they're, they're my kids. Really, I'm, there. I'm theirs. You know, um, they teach me so much every, every single day. And... Um, also push me I always say they like make me feel young and old at the same time mm. <laughs> they, they push me so far into like my impatience and um, really questioning a lot of you know of course like how we were raised I was raised in a military family that was very um, you know I don't want to say yeah it was pretty strict but also like corporal punishment was not something anybody held back on. So, you know, it was the eighties, there was spanking, there was all that kind of stuff, you know, um, which I cannot imagine now. It's kind of amazing to think that, but, um, having to undo a lot, I think for me stepping into parenthood, I was really worried because my examples of parenting were so, um, harmful. I mean, not that, you know, I'm good with my parents. Like we're, we're, we've come around, we've come a long way. Um, in some sense, we're not terribly close. I'll be very honest about that. Um, it doesn't often feel like I have parents. I have, I feel like I have people that I've known for like a long time, but we also don't live near each other and we haven't for a long time. But, um, I think that, you know, I carry that with me in parenting because I want my kids always to feel safe and loved. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are like, well, what do you want your kids to be when they grow up? And I'm like, kind, I just want them to be kind, Mm -hmm. you know, um, they don't have to be, you know, the world famous baker. They don't have to be all these things. Do I think that they have um, extraordinary abilities? Of yes. course I do. I'm a parent, right? But um, mm-hmm. I think also, too, particularly with the pandemic, I was so exhausted, like so many of us trying to, like, do the career. I had staff. I was helping that. You know, we both mm-hmm. have careers. So we were just doing this co-parenting thing where we would split the day. She would have four hours of work. I would have four hours. And then you would be doing parenting in the other time. And um, I just was, I, I call it the COVID crucible because it, mm. t- it tore me down to like the most basic existence of myself. Like, how am I going to get through this? But it was really my children who, while I felt accountable to in ways that I never imagined, like teaching them, and you know, Salsa was still in diapers. I mean, we were, it was, it was rough y'all. We can talk about that another time. But <laughs> the amazing part of it though, too, is that they were like, let's play. 
right? So we don't often get that opportunity as adults to play and they like force me to play. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it's such a gift, like so many gifts all the time. Um, they're ridiculous. They're so silly. I'm so many like, you know, pictures of them with like buckets on their heads and, mm-hmm. you know, dance parties in the kitchen and, you know, just those things. But I, I just want them to feel loved and safe so that they can be whoever they are. Beautiful. Um, and I, yeah, I'm just so fortunate and I have an incredible co-parent. I mean, you know, I know we are not a typical family, but I think that that's also kind of amazing mm-hmm. too, because we can step outside as we've talked about a lot of these norms that say, well, you know, the pressures that men must feel having to, you know, make the earning or like the pressures that women must feel in like taking care of children or whatever. Like we get to step outside of those norms yeah. and say, actually, like we're very true partnership. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and, and in those things, like we have incredible communication. You know, we also I think we're socialized as women when growing up to process things and talk through things. So we, we do have a lot of communication that happens, you know, things get tough just like any relationship, Mm -hmm. but I feel like we can, we can really communicate that even, even through the painful things. Mm -hmm. And we always had a rule from day one that, you know, we, there's no name calling. And I just want to say that that is a really great rule. That is beautiful. I never really thought about that, but I was like, yeah, it's powerful. It is anyway. Just, well, we always mm-hmm. like to end with the question from Women Who Run With the Wolves. Mm. And in that book, uh, the author talks about where there are a few precious doors into the world of the wild. And I might let you fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, wild woman, but... Wild human, uh, wild, wild person. Human, yeah. yeah. And if you have a deep scar, that is a door. Mm-hmm. If you have an old, old story, that is a door. If you love the sky and the water so much, you can almost not bear it. That is a door. Or if you yearn for a deeper life, a full life, a sane life, that is a door. So which door do you think you took into your life as a wild human? Mm. Wow. Because I do define you as that. Yeah. Your whole journey. Yeah. Um, All of those things. Yeah. (laughs) It might be all. Yeah. I really do think that there's so much that is just like leaning into life. You know, I mean, it's like all of the scars, all of the waters and the ocean. So I also grew up surfing. So the I was ocean thinking about that for you. is very, very powerful. In fact, I miss it so, so much. Sometimes I think I can smell it um, oh. and like feel it around me, like the salted air. Um, and so I often turn to nature, of course, to, you know, experience like what's on your skin, what's in your eyeballs, what's in your nose and your mouth, like all of the senses um, to really ground who I am. Obviously, we can't get away from our scars. I think understanding them certainly helps with the healing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say all, all, all of them. I love that Beautiful. answer. Yeah. Well, you are incredibly courageous. Yeah. And you are an amazing candidate, and you're going to you. be an amazing supervisor. I, I get mm-hmm. So please, uh, listeners, if you're in Johnson County, get out and vote, get out and vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We need people that are looking out for all people Yeah, and have the heart that you have to serve. So I wish you all the best. I hope after the election, you can take time to find some healing and take care of yourself. It's, mm-hmm. it's a big lift and we owe a lot to the people running mm-hmm. because yeah, more than ever, it is, it is a challenging time to run. So I just honor you for, for stepping into the arena. Yeah. yeah. 
Thanks so much. You give me a lot of hope as I hear you talk, someone like you being a leader. And just like I said, I want to be your kid. (laughs) (laughs) I want you to be my supervisor. (laughs) I'll take it. So get out there and vote, everyone. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for this conversation. Have you been inspired by Tend Her Wild? Well, Kate and I would love to meet you live and in person for a rewilding yoga, meditation, and healing retreat in one of our favorite places, Nosara, Costa Rica, May 20 to 27. If you're interested in getting away and doing some deep transformative work with us, check out our show notes for how you can sign up. Come rewild with us in Costa Rica. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week. Bye.